It's uh, fascinating. Today's message, I was really encouraged with the Bible study that I did in preparation for this. Is, uh, I mean, you can look up on YouTube nowadays and, and just, I, you could talk in it, Faith, Hope, and Love on YouTube, and messages will come up in 1 Corinthians 13, you know. Uh, <clears throat> greatly desire the greater gifts. Uh, um, love, love is, and uh, I came upon a message, Faith, Hope, and Love by Alistair Beck. Um, it's interesting. He didn't mention faith, hope, and love except for the very end of his message. It's about something else, and he just happened to quote First uh, Corinthians 13. <clears throat> it's part of his message, but I did... Uh, a little word study, and it's fascinating. The scripture, um, you can get the Bible study out of it by itself, and that's the uh, context of today's message. <coughs> Pardon me. You don't necessarily need to rely on commentaries. You can certainly grab commentaries and see what it says about a particular passage. I gave you the reference Bible Gateway. It actually has uh, the Greek <coughs> paralleled with the English. And we're going to be studying some of this in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verse 31. The Apostle Paul says, after describing all of our spiritual gifts, like our personality that we contribute to the church, he says, now greatly desire the greater gifts. And the actual Greek word for gifts is charisma. Then he says, I'm going to show you a most excellent way. It's kind of cool is looking up the word, the Greek that he used for excellent is this word, hyperbole. Hyperbole. You guys know what that, heard of that term before, right? Hyperbole. In the modern uh, uses of that word. It's an exaggerated statement or claim not necessarily meant to be taken literally, right? Hyperbole. But in this context, it's a Greek verb called from the compound word hyperbalen. Hyperbalen, meaning to exceed. So he says, I'm going to show you something above and beyond the spiritual gifts, a most excellent way. So that's what it means when you read a most excellent way. Hyperbole is formed from two words, hyper, meaning beyond, and ballin. Guess what that means? A ball it means to throw. That's easy to remember, right? It's very much like the, our English word. Hyperbolin, to throw beyond. I'm going to show you a most excellent way, even greater beyond the spiritual gifts that I listed, the gifts of prophecy, etc., so hyperbole literally means throwing beyond. There's another word, parabole, that you know. It's the word that we get parable from. It's all very uh, associated with this word to throw. And a parable, like Jesus told stories, is like a story thrown alongside life to illustrate a point. So a para uh, is something alongside. So the Apostle Paul, interestingly, 
uses this word hyperbole. This is the most excellent way. He goes to explain in the next paragraph, he uses hyperbole. Let's read on. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So he's using hyperbole there. In other words, if I'm fluent in 12 different languages, wah, all right, he's using hyperbole. Not only that, if I could speak in multi-languages, how many of you could speak? Let's have a survey. How many languages can you speak in this congregation? Obviously one. <laughs> how many you, of you are bilingual? Bilingual? All right. One and a hesitant two. How many of you are trilingual? Can three, speak three languages? All right. So he's using hyperbole. If I could speak in all the tongues, so he's re referring back to Pentecost, right? When there were Jews from gathering from a festival of all different regions and dialects. It's just like Chinese people in China, right? It's so weird. In California, uh, you know, our ancestors were most likely Cantonese. We can't even speak with people that speak Mandarin. We don't understand each other. So he's saying, if I could speak in all the tongues of men, or get this, or of angels. If I could speak in the language of angels, that's hyperbole, but do not have love. I am only a, I'm just making noise. I'm just noise pollution. Then he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and if I have all the knowledge in the world, if I have faith that I can move a mountain, this is the definition of hyperbole, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, everything, if I give my body to hardship, some versions say to the flames, but do not have love, it's all for naught, it's nothing. Then he goes on to say, <clears throat> love is, this is what love is. It's not phileo love, brotherly love, okay? It's not transactional love. It's not familial love <clears throat> or love by obligation, but it's agape love. So in the context of using our spiritual gifts, service, interaction with one another, <laughs> It needs to be subject to a selfless type of love. Very much like the Lord's Prayer, you know. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will. Subjecting our service, subjecting our spiritual gifts to God's will. <clears throat> so he goes on to say, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not proud. It does not insist on its own way, right? So I just, like I said, it has so many words there. You, we, you can make a lesson, a little sermonette on each word. And we may, if the Lord guides me to do that, I may clump a couple together. But I'm going to focus on patience, all right? In a macro sense, 
<clears throat> you all were patient with me, uh, getting started a little later. I had trouble with patience, uh, speeding through the yellow lights <laughs> and the slow seniors in front of me on a Sunday afternoon. <clears throat> Macro America is America patient and kind. What is America known for outside of the world? What do they call Americans? What kind of Americans? Patient and kind Americans? What do they call them? Come on, you can say it. What are Americans known for outside of the world? Rude American. It's like definition of different nationalities. Rude Americans. How about minorities? How are minorities treated in America? Wow. Not very kindly in America, have we? Getting closer to home, how about our family, our significant others? How about the man in the mirror, huh? Love, are we patient and kind? This word eulogy that I often do a little word study at memorial service, I'll say, okay, now it's time for the eulogy. And most people kind of know what that means, but I'll often say, it's time, the actual word means a good word. It's time to give a good word for our dearly departed and uh, to remember fondly all the things that uh, happen in their life. This word euangelion, what does that mean? <clears throat> what's, that, what's the Greek word for euangelion? Evangel, evangelize. That's, that's how, we, how we get our word evangelism. Euangelion, it means literally what? Good, an angel is a messenger, right? So it could be translated simply by good message. That's where we get what? The good news, <clears throat> right? The good news. So the good news is evangelism. Good, a good message. But too often than not, our lives our families, where we live, our counterparts, our neighbors, we are inundated with not a good word, but a crab mentality. Have, who's heard of a crab mentality? Anybody? One of my Filipino friends uh, told me about that. I go, oh, you Filipinos, you're so tight. <laughs> Community, right? I'd be in the hospital, and uh, they, they'd go, you Filipino? I go, no, Chinese-American. Meet another person. You Filipino? <laughs> right? They're always looking for that connection with each other. And uh, connection to community and their homeland, certainly. And I mentioned that to one of my uh, Filipino nurses. She goes, yeah, that's true, but... They're, uh, they go, she was specifically thinking of her ethnicity ethnic uh, background. They're like, they're so petty, though. They're, they're, they're crabs with each other. I go, what do you mean crabs, right? Like when you're boiling crabs, right? You see pictures of crabs, they're always climbing over each other, right? 
just to climb, climb out, to get ahead about the other person, distinguish when yourself from the other person, a crab mentality. <coughs> I was thinking of this, and uh, it's very closely tied to a scarcity mentality. And I think if, you, if we have a scarcity mentality, we're going to have a hard time with agape love because agape love is all about abundance, right? God's unconditional love. That's how we could <clears throat> that's how we could love and forgive others because we have experienced the abundance of God. So I found this little <clears throat> meme on the internet. Scarcity versus abundant mentality. If you have abundance, <clears throat> you can collaborate with people, right? You don't always have to be right or always have to win. It's not a competition. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> right? You guys are planning something with your extended family. Uh, like next week, we're having a baby party, and, you know, there needs some coordination. <clears throat> right? You, you don't always have to win, right, with your opinion. It's not a competition. If there's an abundance mentality... You could trust the other person versus mistrust. There's sharing versus hoarding. People take responsibility versus blaming each other <clears throat> for things that go wrong. If something goes wrong on your team, easy to blame. <clears throat> blame it on something else. Abundance mentality, there's peace. There's enough to go around versus war. One application of the scarcity versus abundance mentality <clears throat> is this word, again, eulogy, you, or, or good word. <clears throat> if people operate from a scarcity mentality, they're really stingy with compliments. You ever notice that? If there's a, a scarcity mentality. They have a hard time giving, some, giving you a compliment. I remember when I was a youth, and us cousins would get together, and you know, we're about yay high, and cousins, uh, sometimes you play with them, but at least for boys anyway, they're your number one competition, <laughs> right? Whether it's competing on the basketball field, competing about <clears throat> what toys you got, comparing it with each other, right? I remember I got brand new shoes from Marshalls. <laughs> brand new shoes from Marshalls. I mean, we, were, we weren't rich. My, my parents brought me to, <clears throat> to the Overstock store, Marshalls. I remember I got these brand new neon running shoes with knobby, knobby soles. They were kind of cool, but that's why they were at Marshalls, because they were neon. <clears throat> and I remember uh, getting together with my cousin, and uh, we were messing around the whole day. <clears throat> he didn't say one word about my shoes, and he finally intentionally said something. He was like, you wanted me to notice your shoes, didn't you? Just like, I'm going to snub you. I'm not even going to notice that. You wanted to brag about it, didn't you? I remember that. He's threatened by my new shoes. Crab mentality. Abundance versus scarcity. 
So God's talking about agape love, not familial love, not transactional love. So let's talk, let's get into a further word study of this word patience. Love is patient. Love is patient. <clears throat> I didn't want to go too fast through these, like love is patient. Just like last week, I read through the whole thing really fast. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not seek its own way. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's so much good stuff there, but it's so easy just to gloss over it, and then we forget about it and get on with our week, right? <clears throat> but this is the type of love God wants us to have. And this is the exciting part here. We're going to do a further word study on this word patience. And you could do it as well. Like I said, the Bible gateway, you could see English and Greek paralleled with each other. So I looked up patience, and certainly... There's patience under hardship in the Bible. And there's these pithy sayings about patience in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. Like Proverbs are like the, the fortune cookie scripture of wisdom, right? So, for instance, like in Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays his folly. So here's some general uses of patience in the Bible. Patience under hardship. Revelations 3, 10. Since you have kept my commandments to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the world. Again, Revelations 13. If anyone is going into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So this idea of patience under hardship. But in this context, I think it's more about, uh, similarly to Ephesians, Ephesians 4.2, to com be completely humble and gentle and be patient, there it is, in what context? With one another, bearing with one another. Even that is kind of general, right? We could just, you could leave today's message and I could, I could wax eloquently saying, be patient with one another, bearing one another's burdens. What does that mean? <laughs> it's so general. It, uh, it, uh, it lacks conviction. It lacks context. Also in 2 Peter 3.9, this is a little more specificness about what the context of this word patient, love is patient. <coughs> 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He uses a goofy negative here. The Lord is not slow, or you could read it, the Lord is quick in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. In what context? What's it referring to? Here, here we go. Not wanting anyone to perish but in wanting everyone to come to repentance. There it is. There's the context that 
God's love. So agape love is selfless love. Agape love is God's love. This is how God shows his love toward you and I. This is how God is patient with you and I. Instead, he is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but coming to repentance. So the word study of patient, in some other versions, it's interpreted as long-suffering. You guys heard that before, right? Long-suffering. In a different version of the Bible, the same Greek text, the translators interpreted it as long-suffering, as opposed to patience. I mean, patience, right? A lot of different contexts of what that might mean. It's kind of general. But long-suffering comes from this compound word, macrothemeo, macrothemeo. To have or be patient, to exhibit internal or external control in difficult circumstances, which control could exhibit by itself a delay in action. Sounds like a definition. To exhibit <coughs> internal and external control in difficult circumstances. It sounds kind of general as well, which control could exhibit itself by delaying action. So some type of reaction, some type of response. So what does this mean, long-suffering? Long-suffering is in itself a compound word. The first couple of lines there, macrothemeo. <coughs> it's used 10 times in scripture. And it's a compound word of Number 3601, that's a Strong's concordance. It's a, Strong's a, is a theologian who, who kind of categorized all the words in the Bible. So macrothemeo is a combination of 361 and 296. What's cool about it, you just click on it, and it describes mekos. Three, three, 3601 is this word mekos which means length or long. That's where you get the word long-suffering. So patience really isn't the right translation. It's long something. Too long with what? Thameos, there it is. 2596 means wrath or fury or anger. Rage, long rage, what? A state of intense displeasure based in something real or perceived wrong. Okay, there it is. So patience is long-suffering under a moral wrong, something that is wrong. So the anger of God is due to, God's righteous anger is due to our moral offense against God. God wants us to be patient as God is patient with us. So it's really in a moral sense. <clears throat> to suffer long, love is a state of intense displeasure based in some real or perceived wrong. Like when you get hurt by somebody. When you get slighted by somebody. When someone does you wrong. That's what this is talking about, to long suffer. Patience. 
Could you retaliate? Could you react? Could you right the wrong? Could you have righteous indignation? Yes. But this is calling for long suffering. When we have a wrong or slight, real or perceived wrongs, real or imagined. Just like I said, anger management, right? Riding in the car, you know. What's the horn for? What is <clears throat> the horn is the opposite of long suffering. Right? Somebody is going slow in front of you. I remember once I was driving and this guy, I mean, I was, I was coming up to an intersection. It was a stale, a stale green, right? It had been green a while. So I'm like, oh, I got to, oh, I'm trying to make it. And the guy in front of me is going like 25 miles an hour through the intersection, almost like, uh, I'm going to make you not make the light, right? Oh, I got so upset. <laughs> you know, I'm speeding up, and I whiz around him. I'm like, I'm like uh, thinking he did it on purpose. And I reacted. Of course, the guy had no idea that I was there. <laughs> but I took it personally, right? That is not long-suffering. That is not being thick-skinned. That is retaliating. That is reacting to a perceived or real wrong. So this anger of God is due to a moral, our moral offense and has a focus on righteous punishment. God's wrath. God is patient, not reactionary. Like the flood in history, God finally did react against humans because they got so bad, so evil. So I'm going to wipe you from the face of the earth and start over again. What does Jesus tell uh, one of his disciples? How many times should I uh, forgive my neighbor? Seven times? And Jesus says what? No, 70 times seven. That's obviously how God wants us to love other people, love those in the church, love those in our family, where we could be a change agent in our family. Maybe there is a lot of dysfunction in our family. Maybe there is a lot of uh, scarcity mentality. But we could bring the abundance, right? We could bring the abundance. So in wrapping this up, applying it, love is patient. Love suffers long, macrothemeo, to have patience to exhibit this internal and external control in different difficult circumstances. To what? To a moral offense, a slight, microaggressions, outright discrimination. <laughs> Ephesians 4.2 and 2 Peter 3.9, explain it well. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's what this means. When you live with each other, we're bound to what? Rub each other the wrong way, right? Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, we grow. Well, that sounds poetic and all, but 
who likes to be rubbed the wrong way, <laughs> right? How many of you have worked on a committee or a board or whatnot where someone rubs you the wrong way? What most people do is they just check out of that and go to a different church <laughs> or a different <clears throat> whatnot. Gosh. I mean, what is the church but made of, of what? Sinners, right? So we are going to rub each other the wrong way. Our personalities are going to rub each other the wrong way. The metaphor of marriage, <coughs> as Christ loved the church, Jesus long suffers the church, our moral offense, our infidelity, our idolatry, Right? God is long-suffering with us when we don't worship God, as we worship demigods. The things of the earth, <coughs> the things of the world. 2 Peter 3.9 again says, He is patient with us. This is so beautiful here. It's a wonderful word in euangelion, evangelism. I have found, like I said, evangelism is one of my spiritual gifts. I never thought myself as evangelistic. But 2 Peter 3.9 is beautiful. It resonates with me. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's like the prodigal son, the father and the prodigal son story, right? He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. So, you know, those that are, <clears throat> you know, have a, a high form of justice and right and wrong in their mind, they'll emphasize Romans 3.23, right? But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they'll talk about God's punishment. But they won't balance that with God's long suffering, right? They won't balance it with 2 Peter 3 9. Yes, we, yes, we deserve punishment. Yes, we fall short of God's glory. Instead of trying to convince someone, you know, when I evangelize people or if I talk about a gospel message, rather than trying to convince them how destitute and morally wrong they are, instead of that, I try to emphasize how good God is. Because it's hard evangelizing relatively moral people, isn't it? Right? Or religious people. I had a conversation with my son yesterday, and one of his friends was trying to evangelize one of his friends. And yeah, he said, yeah, they've, they've tried sharing the gospel with them before. And they just don't see any need for it. I go, yeah. I go, they grew up Catholic, you know that. He goes, yeah, exactly. It's hard evangelizing relatively moral people, right? Not breaking any laws, etc. It's hard to convince them of their sin. But when we realize, I like to emphasize how good and gracious and holy, holy, holy God is, then our sin comes 
into perspective. Okay, wrapping up. Love is patient. Moving toward communion. If you uh, have gotten your communion elements, grab one as we think about communion. Galatians 6, 7, 8 is beautiful. Talks about God's patience with us as we begin to commune with God. But your inequities, your sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear communion. Interesting, huh? I didn't make that up. We're having communion service today. But our sins, our inequities, have made a separation between us and God. And our sins have hidden God's faith. So he doesn't hear our communion with God. Either these are non-Christians, their religion. God doesn't hear their communion, their worship, because of their sin. Us as believers... We have placed our faith in Jesus. <coughs> Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. For those of us that the Holy Spirit has convicted, I am a sinner standing before God. This ground that Moses is uh, standing on is holy ground. I realize that God is holy, and I am not. And it's God's free gift of patience, God's free gift of long-suffering, not wanting that anyone should perish, but God is long-suffering, waiting for us to repent. And that's the type of heart that we need to bring before monthly communion, a repentant heart. So as we get ready for our communion elements, let's contemplate God's long suffering, his long patience against our moral offense. And it's not that you have to sit there and grovel and say, I'm such a wretch. Maybe, maybe you do need to grovel. <laughs> maybe God's Holy Spirit is convicting us of our wretchedness. Or maybe God is convicting of, God, of, of us standing before God's holiness. So grab your communion elements, and I want you to meditate on this wonderful song. Are we sorrowful for our sin, Lord? God, we are sorrowful that our sins put you on the cross, that you came and had to die for the sins of the world. God, we are mournful for our sins, past and present. But God, we are joyful and happy, God, because you are long-suffering with us. You suffer long for us because your desire is that no one is separated from you because you love us and you want to call us and cleanse us from our inequity. God, we're happy as we take communion together with you. 
may our sin not block our communion with you because God, not because we're good enough, not because we've done enough, but because you have forgiven all of our sins. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.